With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier. Registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, happy Final Four week, everyone. Final Four week, indeed, and who would have thought that we would be here? <laughs> I think one of you said earlier in the week, like, I, I was pretty ready to, uh, you know, talk some lacrosse and some other nonsense, and yet the basketball team decided that we get another week of... Uh, pulling our hair out and just ridiculous uh game so that was fun you know what I, I, it's actually worth it as much as it as, as it hurts i mean dan why don't you describe kind of your emotions and feelings um as as we got about say 10 to 11 minutes into into the second half uh, down to the end of that game um i had already pretty much come you know to accept that we were gonna lose which is good it, it felt okay okay like, so I was, like, totally ready for the buzzer to sound and us to be, you know, have lost by 10 or 15, and, you know, we made it a better run than anyone thought. No one expected this in the Elite Eight. So I had already, like, hit that point in the grieving process of Syracuse basketball. And then uh, we put on the press, and Malachi turned into a uh, superhuman for a 10-minute stretch, and uh, here we are. Yeah, I think it can't be, you know, overstated. Um, the importance of both Malachi and the press. I mean, Malachi hit so many clutch shots in, in, in that, that final stretch. And then the, the press, and, and that's the thing that we saw a lot of, um, you know, words spilled on the internet about that, um, you know, right after. But but I don't think that that means the story there is over yet either. I think uh, for, for all the talk about how, how beholden he is in the 2-3 zone and how old-fashioned he is and how, um, you know, he, he does a very good... I've seen critiques about him being very good at prepping into games but maybe not so much changing within games um i think that between the four and five stretch without him when you know mike hopkins just didn't have the preparation to to make changes in game i mean and you saw it in the on-court results and again that's not a knock on hop that's just how it goes uh, when you're when you're a rookie head coach but the other thing is again the, the the press the fact that he knew how to use the press against both gonzaga and virginia and and almost Almost created a solution to to grind it out teams like Gonzaga. Oh, not sorry, like Virginia on the fly. I mean, they they've been so hard to to plan for and so hard for teams to beat of late. And I think you know, Bayheim obviously has the athletes for it, but it seems like no lead for the Syracuse team at this point is is uh, insurmountable, and that no game is lost until uh, until the clock hits zero. Yeah, and it's really amazing, A, because like the Syracuse team hasn't really been a prolific offense. It's it's a capable one. It's one that can get hot and has a lot of good pieces, but the it's just not consistently one that'll roll over people. Um, and it's just, it's had these bursts where it's come back. Obviously, the first two games were blowouts, but the last two games, it's pretty good. I mean, a pretty good Zaga defense, and, uh, you know, it wasn't ranked number one, but I find it hard to believe there are more than one or two better defenses than Virginia. Um, and the the team is just totally flipped the switch because it could not do anything against UVA in the first half that didn't require a putback or a shoeless three or some other thing that you can't really uh, game plan for. <laughs> um, but then Beheim, like, I thought that was one of his best in-game coaching games ever. Um, and the press, like, it wasn't even that it was getting a ton of, like, tra- like against Gonzaga, the press was really effective in getting traps and steals. Against UVA, they just were totally shook by it. 
And it, they got two on ones. They got three on twos. They 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 did everything you need to do to beat it. And just the shift in mo- in in uh, tempo and then the onslaught on the other end just seemed to totally take UVA out of the game. And Tony Bennett looked like a deer in headlights on the sideline, which is crazy because Tony Bennett always like I mean he he's always pretty calm, but he looks like he's in control and he's been one of the best coaches in college basketball since he took over at UVA and. He just got totally outcoached by Beheim. Um, and I really appreciated what Beheim said afterwards about going to the press early. Like, he, we, he doesn't outwardly uh, promote, like, analytics and stuff. And I don't even know if he, like, realizes that's what he's using. But um, he definitely has, like, the mind for it because so many coaches would have just waited until, like, the last five minutes out of the press. And he's like, I mean, if we lose by 30, who cares? Like, it, no one's going to give this team credit for losing by five if the team gets hot on offense but still can't. Uh, solve uh, Virginia defensively. So he he took his shot. He took it way earlier than we usually do. Um, And it worked out, and he wrote it for a good four minutes. And then by the time we stopped pressing, Virginia just was so distraught and and flipped on its head that it just didn't matter. And Syracuse, you know, cruised to victory, strangely. It was a close game, but, like, I never felt like Virginia was getting back in it, which is crazy because Virginia's a, a really good team. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a great, uh, a bunch of great points there, but I think the big one is, you know, the analytics part is that Bayheim did play the odds. Like, like that's what analytics is in, in one way or another. It's playing the odds, and, you know, Bayheim might, might not care about it. It might not matter to him, but that was what he was doing, even if it was, you know, just from an eye test standpoint. And, yeah, I, I was stunned to watch it. I, I like you, had kind of resigned myself to a loss but but not in an angry way. Um, I was upset about a couple calls here and there, but overall, I felt like you know maybe it was just it just wasn't our day, it wasn't our year. Um, and and what we saw, I think, was oddly this tournament has has kind of brought the team that you and me and others all thought in, in preseason that like this is what we saw this team as a team that could play capable to to, to solid defense, and I think they've surpassed that a bit uh, in this tournament. But a team that. If they can keep themselves in games, shooters can get hot and lead them to victory. Um, and and it, it's it's amazing how uh, you know that narrative is that narrative really never came to fruition at the beginning of the season and, and throughout the regular season. And now we're seeing it. I mean, knock on wood, could that pit loss and, and the comeback that they staged in it be the best thing that ever happened to this team? That's interesting because, like, we I mean, the team is pressed as much as it ever does throughout the year. Like, we see it. Um, a possession or two every couple of games, but the pit game was the first time that I can remember. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing like something from the regular season, but it was the first time in a huge scenario where Beheim seemed to go to it for a long stretch of time, and obviously he pulled it off, and there was controversy over whether or not he should have taken it off when he did. But like he he leaned on it for a bunch of possessions in a row, and it it worked really well in that game. Obviously, they didn't end up playing with a win, but. Now it's just in the back pocket. Now, I don't know that North Carolina is a team that we're going to really Please upset no. <laughs> with a press because they are about as equipped to beat a press. I mean, they want to run all day. They stored 101 points against Indiana, which is insane. Um, so I don't know that we'll see much of it on Saturday. But um, it's nice to know that we have it like available, and Beheim is more than willing to switch up things quicker than usual. Like he's you know, Obviously, the zone is, is the defense, but he's – willing to use these wrinkles at, you know, less uh, obvious times. And then next year, like, just looking looking ahead, um, the roster that, that Syracuse should have next year really lends itself to pressing. Um, you have Chukwu, who will, at 7-3, I'm, he, obviously it depends on how good he ends up being, but he should be a very good rim protector who can kind of sit back in those two-on-one situations. Obviously, Leiden's done an amazing job at it as a forward. Um, imagine what Chukwu can do if he has, like, even close to the shot-blocking ability that Leiden does. But then you have more uh, depth at the guard and forward positions where, you know, hopefully we'll have a slightly bigger rotation than, than this year's team. Obviously, Baham usually runs with a seven, maybe eight. But next year, I think uh, we might be even more equipped to do some of this. And, and maybe we see this, like, weird late career... Uh, not a total shift. Like the, the zone's always going to be the, the defense, but like a little more willingness to mix things up um, in these kind of situations, rather than just sitting in the zone and maybe throw the press on in the last minute. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, and, and I think that you know, you kind of have to start oddly. While, while we all consider, based on wins, the golden age of Syracuse basketball, um, you know, title aside, lack of title aside, was kind of 2009 to 2013. But were we wrong? Is 2013 maybe the beginning of the late career renaissance for for Bayheim? Maybe finally deciding that you know he can still be him and still do exactly what he does, but um, embrace some some other some other folds, some other nuances um, to this team. Um, on both ends of the floor, I just feel like, um, again, this team more than more than any in recent memory just kind of breaks the mold of his teams. And and again, this is this sounds weird and would have. I mean, four weeks ago we were on this podcast and I think we were you know doubting whether or not this team could even make the tournament. And now we're talking about a team that is equipped in the Final Four uh, to potentially win it all. I mean, maybe not as much as the other three teams, but I don't care about that. That's why I'm going to Houston. Uh, I think that uh, th- this is just a, a wild ride, and it's one that um, people shouldn't just chalk up to luck, and it doesn't sound like people are anymore. Um, this is a very good team. But like you said, it's one that um, got by on on the press, and, and that's that's great. That's, that's exactly what they should have done against their opponents. But you can only win with the press if you either have superior athletes um, – or, or they're a slow it down team that that can't adjust from their style. And you look at the last, you know, five games: Pitt, slow it down style; Dayton, slow it down style. Superior athletes. Middle Tennessee, superior athletes. Gonzaga, superior athletes. Virginia, slow it down style. Like, so we we had the perfect set of five teams to to run it against. And now we didn't really do it against Dayton and Middle Tennessee. We applied defensive pressure in other ways um, that that also yielded results, but. Uh, I am very curious to see what we can do with North Carolina, especially since we have played them pretty well in, in the two games that we've uh, faced them so far, despite them being losses. Yeah, I mean, in those two factors, North Carolina is a total, totally different animal because they think they are one of the fastest teams in college basketball. I'll look up the numbers while we're going, but I think they have the number one offensive team in terms of efficiency, um, and they run all over the place, and they have – Probably, uh, I think it's safe to say they have more talent than Syracuse at this point. Um, and that's fine. And yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, you and me said before the <laughs> tournament they that they were probably the most talented roster in the entire thing, and you know here we are, and that's exactly where the most talented roster should be in the Final Four. Yeah, so North Carolina is at sixty-two in adjusted tempo, which is pretty, you know, pretty good when you consider there's they're in the upper like fifteen, twenty percent in the in the country, so they run. And Syracuse is at three nineteen, so we do not. Um, but like you said, we've, we've played them close both games. Uh, we were down two with under a minute left in the last game in Chapel Hill. Um, so they're rightfully going to be a big favorite, and I have no issue with that. I don't think it's a disrespect thing at all. I think North Carolina deserves to be the favorite that it's going to be uh, put in as. But Syracuse, you know, it has a shot, and that's all you can really ask for considering wh- where this team is coming from in the last three weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Hoya Sucks had put up that article yesterday or for people listening Tuesday um, talking about how, you know, pretty much Syracuse broke computers. And, and no, Syracuse wasn't a miracle underdog against those teams by any means. But when we were talking about going into the Sweet 16, no, sorry, the Elite Eight. Um, no, the Sweet 16, sorry. The, the teams that, that Syracuse is best equipped to, to beat, you know, in order, it was Iowa State 1 and then and at a distant 2-3, the teams we didn't want to face but had to. Uh, Virginia and Gonzaga, and and it works. So to me, like, well, obviously, you know, betting lines are created for a reason, and and, and teams are established as favorites for a reason, and there are certain advantages that every team has over another. Um, I think this team has proven that that whatever you thought you you knew about them going into this and whatever you think you know about them going into each game um, could be turned on its head at at any given moment. I mean, the, the... the speed at which that lead evaporated for Virginia was, um, I mean, if not for the Northern Iowa-Texas A&M game earlier in, in the tournament, would be one of the more astounding comebacks I've seen in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about it is, like, it, it, it happened earlier than, like, you think of these comebacks happening because it really started, well, like, seven, eight minutes left in the second half. But it all happened in, like, a, an instant. It was just, what, two, yeah, two, and, a half two and a half minutes, and it flipped a 13-point deficit into, a, like, a two-point lead, which is which is crazy, especially against that team. That team, uh, I mean, I'm not. this isn't an original thought. A lot of people have said this, but if you took, like, the entire field 
of the tur- of the tournament, all sixty eight teams, and you said, you know, which team is least likely to give up a, uh, a sixteen point second half lead uh, to an, a, an opponent that's not um, like that doesn't rank, you know, yeah, to, to anyone, but like especially a team that you know Syracuse is a pretty good underdog, and I would have said Virginia, like that's that easy answer, and they did. So I mean, if that happens. Uh, nothing's going to surprise me in the rest of this tournament. Obviously, you know, if Syracuse turns back from down 20 North Carolina, it'll be somewhat shocking, but I don't even think that would be as crazy as what we saw. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, it, I was in, like, total disbelief just the way it all played out. But um, at this point, like, we've had this whole, like, is Syracuse a Cinderella or not thing? And I, I really don't think they are because a normal Cinderella, um, like a George Mason or whomever, uh, they have this big talent deficit and they just ride, you know, they ride the lightning and then eventually they just get blown out and crash. Um, I don't see that happening with Syracuse. Like, it, you, you don't see my blow them out, but Syracuse does have like four and five star talent across the roster. It's not quite as stacked as uh, as UNC, but if you like go through like where these people were as, as recruits and how highly touted they were, Syracuse probably has like the second or third most talent in the tournament left. So, um, I think that Syracuse, at this point, you have to consider them their contender. So, uh, again, like it's it's shocking considering three weeks ago we didn't think we were going to make it. And uh, but at this point, I, I don't know how you don't take them seriously if you're on the outside looking in. Oh, of course, and you know, I, I think that you know everyone likes to play narrative ball in in the NCAA tournament, and it's just. It, it does. It's not even does the teams a disservice because, to be honest, the teams don't care. Jim Beheim cares, but he cares. He only cares if he can shove your face in it later, as he showed in his, his statements today at the uh, the send off event. But I, I think that um, you know you brought up a good point of of why it's also hard to root for this team if you're not an Orange fan. Everyone loves a Cinderella, but like we've talked about before, everyone loves a Cinderella to a certain point. You're not allowed past the Sweet 16, maybe the Elite Eight, if you're a Cinderella. Um, the only time that that's embraced is if you're in an all-blue-blood Final Four and you happen to be the outlier and people find that fun and interesting. For us, it's not the case. We're actually the second most, quote-unquote, blue-blood program in this, in this Final Four. Syracuse is not supposed to be a, a Cinderella, and it's because of the talent uh, that's on this roster. And I think that's... It really is what what is making so many people kind of, you know, not turn their noses up, um, but just just try to dismiss this team as, as surprising. And you know what? I, I can't argue with it, and, and I, I don't even want to at this point. Like, I, I think, yeah, you're right. I, the, Syracuse isn't a Cinderella in, in the traditional sense. Um, it would be... It, you can't necessarily call it a miracle if a bunch of four and five star players win a national championship. Um, I mean, you know, that would be like, um, I guess that would be like calling any half the SEC, the top, you know, third of the ACC, half quarter of the Big Ten. Like, if any of those teams decided to win a national championship, you can't call it a Cinderella. Different postseason design, but still, like for us, there's just there's too many quality athletes and. Um, I guess the the narratives that people played up at the beginning of the season, you know, really, really allowed this team to take a lot of folks by surprise, and, and that I I don't think that's limited to fans. I think it it extends to some coaches maybe too. Um, I don't think Tony Bennett's one of them. However, I think that he did an admirable job with a very very good Virginia team this year. And I just think he was caught at the wrong moment with players that admittedly should have been able to handle themselves and for some odd reason stroke of luck cosmic weirdness whatever you want to call it just didn't and it it sealed their fate very quickly i think what clearly happened here um is that middle tennessee stole michigan state's like basketball ability (laughs) and then we kind of like space jam like space jam and then we just stole it from middle tennessee which means that it was destiny that we would beat virginia in the NCAA tournament I, I don't think there's any more logical explanation than that. Just, just pass the baton of who can beat Virginia. <laughs> Six degrees of ending Virginia season. We just had some like we we just we just drank some like Tom Izzo juju before the game, and that was it. Virginia had never had a shot. 
mean, it's, it's the most compelling theory I've got so far because <laughs> other, other than the whole thing with the four and five star athletes, it yeah, I mean, aside from that, yeah. aside from the fact that, you know, most people thought Syracuse would be like a four or five seed going into the tournament and they just underachieved all year and then still made it, you know, that's also a thing, but less fun, I think. Yeah, I, Dan, do you think that, that poor seeding was a big, big factor this year, just in terms of um, upsets and, and especially when it came to like teams that, I mean, I think the Pac-12 is being held up as the example, right or wrong, uh, of, of a conference that has managed to gain the RPI in a way to, uh, to its own advantage, but that advantage doesn't extend to wins in the tournament. It just seems to extend to tournament invites that they then squander. Um, I don't know that I tell it poor seating in the case of Syracuse. I thought a 10 was pretty fair. I, th- I was actually kind of surprised we weren't in the play-in game. Um, but there definitely were some weird things el- elsewhere. Uh, Oregon State being a 7 when they kind of like, they were safely in the tournament. They had like just played themselves in the last couple of weeks. Um, so there were some weird things across the board. Um, but unless you're going to seed things based on, unless you're going to like find your 68 teams and then seed them based on talent or like projection ahead of the season. Uh, I thought Syracuse being a 10 was perfectly fine. Honestly, I saw maybe like 538 said they should have been like a nine and that's fine too. Like if you're within one, one seed line, I, I don't think there's a lot to gripe about, but um, it just, you know, it sucks for Dayton and middle Tennessee and well, not, it doesn't really suck for them. They did all they could, but you know, unfortunate for Dayton that they caught the, the 10 with the most talent and unfortunate for everyone else down the road. But nothing to nothing for Syracuse to apologize for, as has been our theme for the last uh, for this month. Yeah, and you, you, have you have you enjoyed now how the narrative shifted at least among the educated uh, kind of media? Obviously, there, there, there's two schools of thought, and it doesn't really matter if you write for online or you write for print. Is that there's a sector of media that is that at some point you know embraces it and goes, "This is hilarious." You know, they're they're actually happy to be hated, and it's working. And then there's obviously the other side of the media uh, that, again, doesn't matter if you're print or online or whatever, that seems to be still pretty angry about it. And then they, that's why they decided to trot out these you know, tired, stupid narratives and, and, and look at a Final Four matchup as you know, NCAA violations instead of a game between two teams, which honestly at this point I've seen very little analysis of because everyone's too busy playing, again, narrative ball. I think a lot of it has to do with just how, what, like, the college basketball, the reality of college basketball is, is that, you know, 90% of the sports world doesn't pay attention outside of, you know, maybe the conference tournaments and then into the NCAAs. So, last people, like, it was basically like last time on Syracuse, Syracuse is banned from the tournament. And it's almost like we just got unbanned as if we hadn't played this entire season <laughs> and spent the entire summer not being banned anymore. So people like, oh, last March Syracuse is banned. So this month they're not banned anymore. How can this be? And then they're going to get in the tournament uh, when they were a bubble seed. Like this is bad. It's almost like they they live like they shut down their college basketball lives and then pitch it right back up. Like we had like the tournament ban had just happened and we didn't have all this other stuff happen between it. So like you have all these people who just don't, don't follow college basketball and they pick up and that's why you have like the stupid the same narratives every single year uh, and then. Oh, I haven't watched Syracuse play all year, but what do I know about Syracuse? Oh, they were banned from the tournament last year because of all these awful things that I haven't actually read. Um, so that's where we get. And have fun with that a couple of years, UNC, because uh, obviously I'm not going to like jump into comparing what Syracuse and UNC did. We kind of all, those of us who pay attention, kind of know the differences. But UNC will, will pay its price eventually, and then you will still hear about it for like 10 years after because people have incredibly short attention spans when it comes to college basketball, unless they're actually fans of the sport, which most sports fans are not. They're fans of the tournament. Dan, you seem pretty optimistic that North Carolina is going to be punished for anything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, you know what? I probably shouldn't be because like the Mark Emmert statements, like, yeah, it's going to be out soon. They're like I, I, maybe they'll get hammered. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll, I could easily see the NCAA being like, this was an academic matter, even though it affected primarily student athletes and was designed for student athletes like oh a couple frat brothers found out the secret class like uh, that's not an accurate that's not an athletic thing anymore don't you worry <laughs> honestly i think the odds of north carolina not getting punished are should be at five to one and it's weird for me because like i'm not rooting for anyone to get punished i think ncaa rules across the board are almost u- uh, universally pretty stupid oh, let's um, be fair 
Yeah. I'm not like I'm not out for blood because my team got punished. I just think there should be like some consistency and justice. And it's not even like UNC getting hammered. I don't care if UNC gets hammered or not. It's like it's more about you know, are you going to enforce these rules or are you going to selectively decide what's important and not? And and then the fact that like the Syracuse stuff, when you really break it down, is it's three things. None of them are good. I'm not saying Syracuse shouldn't have gotten any punishment. Like take away some scholarships. You know, if you want to ban Beheim for our game or two, whatever. But like what they what they conflated it into with the penalty was so crazy, and people just don't pay attention to what the actual the actual allegations are. They talk about it like it was like a rampant like drug like drug fueled program for ten years that every player got paid and had had papers written for them when it was like three guys working at the YMCA. Uh, who knows what the drug stuff was? But well, like the whole thing shouldn't have even happened because we were busy not enforcing rules that we didn't need to have and one paper it so it's all it, it's it's nuts like it gets me so so upset just because <laughs> people don't bother to go and like actually look at the details and then like we sound crazy because it sounds like we're trying to pretend like nothing bad happened we're just like yeah some stuff happened but this is probably pretty uh probably pretty uh normal for most college big time college programs oh i'd agree and i think you know it's I think that that's the the biggest point that you don't even need proof anymore because it happens so often. Like this is a thing that ha- like this is a thing that occurs. Like Beheim said, and, and I hate to to defend him on all of this because I do think that there is a certain amount of liability that can exist. But like you can't control what they do all the time, every single second. And and I again, I feel like we're playing right into the narrative now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're upset. We're we're mad on the internet because yeah. everyone else thinks that we should have gotten, like, a, a seven-year ban or something, and we're like, we should have just gotten a little less than what we got, and, you know, it just pushes us all the way over to the other side when really we're just like, yeah, we did things wrong, but, like, this was absurd. Yeah, I, I think that's the... The fact that I also... And, I mean, you feel the same way. Like, at some point, you just get tired of the NCAA overreaching and overstepping and punishing certain programs over others. And, like, we'll see what happens in North Carolina. I'm not rooting for any ill will, like, against North Carolina. I don't want... I don't want anything bad to happen to Louisville, but I feel like something happening bad to Louisville would be much more fitting than what happened to us. And and, and that might sound stupid, and I'm sure some Cardinals fan is going to listen to this and get really pissed off, but, like... What they did was much, much worse than anything that happened at Syracuse. Yeah, and it's it's. I, I always feel weird when I complain about like another program not getting hit because it really, like I said, it's not about like having some bloodlust for a program not being able to play in the tournament because Syracuse just did the same thing. But it's just like, I it it seems like Syracuse is getting like almost a little scapegoated for like all of college basketball's problems, where really it's far more wide reaching. When you consider just how many programs have similar issues over the same exact time span, um, so I mean, if they wanted to just say, "Hey, we're getting out of the business of ridiculous penalties," then whatever. Like, I'm not gonna be upset because some totally innocent UNC players aren't getting banned. Like, that's not what I'm into. But it's just, uh, it just seems like Syracuse was made an example of. And until we see what happens with UNC and Louisville. Um, you know, it's it's natural that you want at least like to feel like there's some justice going on, whether or not it in totality makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like again, I I just so happen to either root for now or rooted for in the past schools that have broken the law and it, and people have made examples of them. Now, I don't necessarily think that that makes me a bad person. I don't think that makes their, those programs bad. I I mean, it just so happens that when I was growing up, I rooted for Syracuse football and USC football. And growing up, before they were in the same conference, I rooted for UNC basketball and Syracuse basketball. Like, And it happens, happens that all those programs have gotten punished. And I think, you know, the NCAA wanted to make an example of, of USC, but what they forgot about was the fact that, um, you know, USC and the situation that existed there Yes, it was a circus created by Pete Carroll, but more than that, it was a circus that could only happen at USC. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's not that you want to change justice per perpetrator, but at the same time, 
you can't tell me that all the things that happened at USC could happen anywhere else because they could not. USC's location is what makes it USC and, and, and the people that it attracts, um, both good and bad, are what makes it USC. Um, and, and it, for better or for worse, got, well, mostly for worse in this case, got put in a situation that it couldn't get out of. Um, I, I have no judgment on whether things were right or wrong. I think Reggie Bush deserves his Heisman. I think that Reggie Bush, considering he was one of the best college football players I've ever watched, should want to and be welcomed back at his own campus, and yet he has not set foot since leaving. That, to me, like, is a crime. Um, and, and I don't think that... If the NCAA wants to be in the business of, of trying to destroy memories, that seems counterproductive to their... To, and like many other things they do. sounds counterproductive to their student-athlete supporting message. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's, the whole thing is, is a poor uh, way to carry out you know, penalties like the NCAA for whatever reason thinks that it's like the men in black and they can reset history. And they clearly, they clearly are, clearly are not because, you know, half the time when people bring up how many wins Jim Beheim has, if not more than half the time, they just put the total number and not the NCAA approved, uh, nonsense. I don't even know what that number is. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I always enjoy that. This is what, uh, comes up during March madness. But again, these are, these are the storylines that surface because people don't actually pay attention to college basketball except for these three weeks. So they have to get all of their all of their uh, teeth gnashing in, and then we are on the receiving end because we for Syracuse. Oh well, because <laughs> at the end of the day, if we win it all this year, oh my god, I don't really I don't really care if you put an asterisk or caveat on on any of it because guess what? None of these players had anything to do with anything that happened. Again, we're not saying that anything important enough happened, but none of these players had anything to do with it. All these players showed up after the fact, and all these players are, are going to be what guided us to at least the Final Four, if not further, and, and that's fine with me, and if people want to hate on it, it's still a ring, so shut up. And, and the NCAA is well aware that we know how to bury trophies, allegedly. <laughs> so come get them. I, I want to... I so, so want... To see when that trophy finally gets on, un- like just unearthed, because we, we we know it's buried. It, it's very clear that it's buried. It's either um, buried or it's like at some bar somewhere. It's just we. It's there. Like everyone knows it's there, and a lot of people tend. I mean, it seems like a, a group of people people knows where it is. So I, I think it's easy to access. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. People know where it is. Like, there's def- several people know where it is, and, and the fact that it hasn't come out is probably the wildest part of all that. Don't mess with the Syracuse lacrosse community, man. They are, they are, they are like, I won't say cultish, but, like, they're almost like a, maybe, like, um, what are those, like, weird groups, like the Knights Templar? Like, they they have, like, a weird connection through the years, and they just seem to have, like, they're, they're kind of mysterious. And anyone who went to Syracuse, like, kind of knows. Lacrosse people, like they pop in and out. They basically have their own bar on campus. Like, it's uh, it's a mysterious group of uh, mysterious like heritage in that program. That's why we love it. That and they win a lot. <laughs> also true. It's easy to have a secret society when you win a lot. Yes. All right, Dan. What have you been drinking in victory? Uh, nothing too exciting on the beer side. Um. We've been going to uh, our bar in New York City Social, which has lots of specials, but not a great craft beer selection. So just a lot of like shitty beer and also mixed drinks. Uh, so unfortunately, this will be kind of a boring thing. Hopefully, uh, once this tournament ends and I go drink at other places with good beer selections, I can contribute a little bit more. Hey, you know, it's, it, it's, it's all about who you're watching the games with and what you're watching. And in this case, um, you know, I, I feel like that could take precedent over over drinking quality beer. I know that I didn't drink a ton of of you know super interesting stuff this past weekend as I was you know myself kind of. I think I just accidentally not drink anything for two hours, just because I couldn't really you know breathe or take my eyes off the screen. But we just had the the waitress just bringing us like constant buckets of like Miller Lights, and I don't really. It's better than Bud Light, <laughs> but yeah. not much. But it was also just easy. So they were just shuttling beers to us every so often, and we were just not looking away from the stream. See, that's the problem. I got I to walk up to my kitchen, 
and get it. It's not going to take my eyes off the screen. I have to like actually get up. A lot of a lot of problems there. Yeah, and you can't even like appreciate it. Like you're doing something else. It's too engaging. Too too true. All right. So on my end, quick a couple that I did have. Um, I had I was at a Mexican restaurant briefly for lunch last Friday and had a uh, a Mexican craft beer. It's called uh, Astiero. It's from uh, Cervecera Agua Mea, and uh, it was very very good. Um, really enjoyed that one. I'm sorry if I butchered the uh, Spanish there. I'm pretty sure I got it, but feel free to hate on me in the comments. Um, also had, I don't know why I hadn't had this one yet, uh, the Citadelic IPA from New Belgium. Their Tangerine IPA it was actually, I mean, it was good, a little bit sweeter than their normal, than it would, no, it, like IPAs would normally run, but I wouldn't say it was overpowering. I did like that one. Um, New Belgium re-released their Rye PA, uh, just Rye IPA from a couple of years ago. So check that one out. And then... Oh, and then I gave myself a uh, a cuddle bug from Smog City that I had sitting around in the fridge in Victory. Um, and that was very, very uh, worth it. And I enjoyed that one quite a bit once things had settled down a few hours after. So yeah, that was mine. And this weekend I will be drinking things in Houston and enjoying all of them because I probably haven't had most of them. Um, quick divergence from... Uh, you know, what I did drink to what I will be drinking. Um, for those who saw the site today, and if you're listening yesterday, um, I'll be down there. Hoya Sucks is going to be down there. There's going to be a lot of people on the site that are down there. Um, so chances are we'll either see each other at the stadium or we'll be able to see each other on Sunday. There's going to be the Game Watch Party um, over at Lucky's uh, Downtown Pub. Um, it's pretty central to all like the fan activation stuff going on and stuff like that. And it seems like that one's going to be organized by SU alums. We're thinking about potentially going to grab a drink before that as the uh, smaller Nudes Magician community, but we'll have to see. So, Yes, I wish I, wish I could be there. We wish you could be there as well, Dan. I know you and I always have a good time whenever we drink. Yes, sir. All right, so continuing on. I might as well look at the other side of the bracket just because it contains a team we hate and a team that beat us in the NCAA tournament in the last decade. And that was because Blake Griffin decided to end lives, and none of us were happy about it. Uh, yeah, I, that was a rough night for me as a freshman in college. <laughs> like, that was like <laughs> one of those, that was a very reckless, like, well, nothing else matters, so we're just going to empty our refrigerator night. Yeah, we, uh, well, since we were 21 at the time, we headed to the bars. <laughs> and that was bad. See, I did that after wins when I was 21 senior year, which was the, the Fab Mellow. Well, not really a Fab Mellow team at the tournament time, but the famous uh, Wisconsin game win and then going to the Chucks and seeing Fab there just will never never cease to amaze me. Yeah, that's uh, that was probably a sign that things were going poorly, <laughs> if I had to guess. I, uh, I know I ran into... I ran into Chris Joseph and Wes Johnson there once, but it wasn't after a game, and it was, like, probably, like, late April. Yeah, I mean, I saw plenty of athletes there that weren't directly after the rest of their team had just played an NCAA tournament game, and they weren't able to do it because they had academic issues. Like, I was fine. I saw Stoop there all the time. Um, anyone who was there in, like, 2012, Ryan Nassib pretty much held court on, like, this one specific spot of the bar every Pretty much every weekend night. Um, I, hung out with, I hung out with him once. With his crew. Um, so, yeah, like, that's no problem. But just seeing seeing Fab there after his team was, like, you know, over in Boston, I think it was, and, lose, and you know, had just won a huge game, and he's just like, yeah, this is, let me go hang out in public. People are definitely going to embrace me. It's not, not the best. The saddest, and I think I've told the story before, the, the saddest um, conversation I've ever had in a bar was... Um, it was 2010, probably around like January. No, no, it wasn't January. Sorry, it was the beginning of the year. And so it was probably like September, October. And I ran into Andrew Robinson um, at the at Chuck's. And we were talking. It was me and my two roommates and him. We were talking for a bit. And then my roommate goes, because he used to play college. And high, uh, used to play football in high school, goes like, 
man, I miss playing football. And, and Andrew Robinson finishes, finishes his drink and goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> now, now, Andrew Robinson was still on the football team. Fourth string tight end is not football. Agreed, but he was still on the football team at the time. That, and, and I always I always found that to be one of the most depressing conversations I've ever had. That's really funny. <laughs> anyway, back to basketball. Dan, what do, what do you see in this Villanova-Oklahoma game? Who are we rooting for from a Syracuse perspective? And um, I guess who will win? And, and that can take as long as you want. We can make this as nuanced as we feel like it. Um, it, I think it's a real coin flip, honestly. Um, obviously, Oklahoma won pretty easily earlier in the year, but I mean, it, it's really hard to take a November result, uh, a one-off game like that, um, which I believe was a neutral court game as well, and like make it seem like it matters in April. Um, I'm that being said, I I tend to think that uh, I I kind of like Oklahoma here. Um, I just think that. Villanova has been playing so hot that if, if they cool down, um, they could be in trouble. And, and Oklahoma just has the most reliable player in Buddy Heald. Like, Buddy Heald's lot worse teams. He shoots, like, 45% from the field and stores, like, 19 points. Like, you're just not getting less than that from him. Where Nova's de- like Nova has probably more of a well-rounded lineup in terms of scoring. But you can catch, like, a bunch of guys on their off nights. Like, if Chris Jenkins and Josh Hart, like, odds are they'll have someone going. But you're just not going to shut down Buddy, and he requires so much attention that, you know, Cousins gets open looks, uh, Spangler gets to clean up a little bit. Like, I, I really like the how that Oklahoma team um, is made up, and I don't think either of these teams has a huge advantage in terms of uh, size or, you know, anything else of that matter. Like, they're actually pretty, they're kind of similar. Um, so I'll take Oklahoma just because of the Buddy factor, but otherwise it's it's super close. Um I think I'd rather play Nova just because I trust Bayheim in against the team that he's familiar with. I guess you can go the opposite way and say Jay Wright knows how to touch against the zone, um, although he has a ton of mixed results. But like Buddy just shooting from thirty feet just terrifies me. I don't want anything to do with that. So I'd rather take my chances. I think with Nova and they shoot a lot of threes, but they're not like an overwhelming like they hit they hit a good clip, but it's not like a crazy number. Um, so I think I take my shot with Nova, but neither one's a great matchup for us, and and that's kind of been uh, the case for the last two games. So if they beat UNC, I think you just roll with whatever happens. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the way to go. And obviously, you know, we were rooting for Iowa State against Virginia, and that didn't work out, and it never worked out for us anyway. Um, I, I think where you know things get dicey for anybody, but especially us, is like. Buddy Heald is someone who can absolutely bust up. I mean, Villanova plays a decent amount of zone, um, and and I just feel like when we've seen it against Syracuse, if you have a transcend a transcendent scorer like Buddy Heald, it's not gonna it's just not gonna work as well. Um, you know, you, you really need to double a man. You really need to to, to put a body on somebody. And, and and again, that's not hating on the two-three zone at all. It's just saying that if you have a, a guy who can score like Heald can, it doesn't really matter. Like he's he's much better than anyone we faced all year. He's much better than anyone Nova's faced all year. Um, there's there's not a Syracuse doesn't have enough firepower to hang with him alone. Um, never mind what everyone else is able to do with him you know, heavily involved in an offense. I think Nova could actually face the same thing. You look at Nova, like Nova faced, you know, the only starless Kansas team in the last decade plus, and, and we were able to handle them by way of mistakes um, that, that Kansas made and then Villanova forced Kansas into making. Um, everybody else Villanova's faced, um, you really haven't seen like that. I mean, again, no one's healed, but even someone is, that can be mentioned in the same breath um, they've just—it's not that they've had luck of the draw, far from it. But um, they've been able to play against you know team-oriented scoring attacks, um, and, and it's—it's it's been a huge advantage for them um, in, in terms of the way they play defense, the way they play basketball. Um, so yeah, I, I think rooting for Villanova is probably the right way to go. I don't think past history matters because again, if we beat—if we already beat Virginia, and if we manage to beat um, you know North Carolina it's really easy to see how, how history doesn't mean shit. Like, 
and, and that goes for the entire tournament, but I think especially Syracuse this year. Like, if they can beat North Carolina, then past results mean absolutely nothing, and especially past results in previous years. Like, Jay Wright knows that it coached well against Syracuse, but, you know, there was only... There's only one Jamie Dixon, and everybody else just managed to pull 500 or worse. So, to me, yeah, again, I, I, don't, I don't fear Jay Wright. I, I much more fear Buddy Heald. Right, and I, I, you know, I think it is kind of a crapshoot at that point because they are kind of similar teams in that, like, neither one is going to beat us up with, like, a, a huge forward. Or Chafe is a really nice player. Oklahoma has some guys that are decent, but... Like, getting through UNC will kind of put that burner. Um, and then it's just, you know, do you take, you know, all the different guards that Villanova throws at you, or do you deal with Buddy? And I think I'd take my shot that, you know, Archie Diakono has a bad night and Hart isn't great and Jenkins isn't great, or, like, at least one of one or two of those guys aren't, like, up to up to par versus, you know, healed on a bad night is going to do some damage, and the rest of their guys get open looks and... As a team, I think they shoot like 42 or 43% from three, which is really, really bad for the zone, especially considering how deep they can shoot it from. Um, so, but I mean, that's, that'll be a good problem to have if, if it comes to it. Oh, of course. And, and it's one of those things, again, like... You're not going to play a bad team in the, in the national championship. It just won't, no. won't happen. You're not going to play a bad team in the national championship. And, and talent gaps rarely matter in the national championship either. Um, unless there's just a wild mismatch created by a, a talent gap. And you're not going to find that with either of these teams against Syracuse. You're not going to find that in either of the matchups in the Final Four. I think even though UNC definitely has more talent than us, you know, we've proven that we can hang with them in their, like on their home court. But, yeah, there's just... You know, even, even when you have a clear talent advantage... I mean, look at case in point. This is an easy example that everyone knows. The Wisconsin-Kentucky game last year. Outside of, you know, three players who were very good in, in, in NBA caliber guys, you were looking at a very, you know, overmatched team in terms of talent when you looked at Wisconsin versus Kentucky, loaded with lottery picks, loaded with five-star kids, loaded with kids who had, who had you know, been to the tournament before, and Wisconsin won. Wisconsin won because... It's not that they wanted it more, but it's that they figured out a way to best game plan for it, and they figured out a way to beat them. And again, like you said, they're not you're not going to find you're not going to find a, a, a miserable talent gap that's going to result in a blowout in the final four. If you have that, then the system doesn't work. Now we can debate the merits of a single elimination basketball tournament over a couple of weeks, but you're not going to find the mismatches in the final four that you find in those early rounds. It just, it can't, it can and won't happen unless a team, the bottom falls out or somebody catches fire. Like no one ever has before. Right. And last year's Wisconsin team is definitely interesting because they actually, not in terms of personnel at all, but in terms of uh, just kind of the makeup of, of, you know, a lot of guys who played together for years, they kind of remind me of this year's Oklahoma team. We've heard a lot about Oklahoma, how they, you know, they're a lot. I think their starting lineup has played like an absurd amount of games together. Like their their core has been pretty well intact and building to this year. So um, obviously, Wisconsin had you know big guys like Kaminsky and Decker's kind of a slasher that Oklahoma doesn't have. But in terms of like familiarity and and cohesion and chemistry and all those fun things that are hard to really like analyze, um, Oklahoma definitely has the closest. And Nova's kind of that way too, where you know UNC for all the talent they've had, it's still like, it took them a little while to find themselves this year in Syracuse. It's just been an enigma. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what, what effect that has. If, uh, if we get like an Oklahoma UNC type game. Oklahoma UNC, UNC would be interesting. I would have liked to see, to be honest, this year's UNC team against last year's Kentucky team. That would have been interesting. I think yeah. A very interesting matchup. I think Kentucky would have won, to be honest. Um, I think Kentucky would have been able to beat Duke fairly easily. I mean, all, I mean, all things relative in the Final Four. Um, and I actually think if you were looking for a blowout in the Final Four, last year's Kentucky team versus last year's Kentucky team versus yeah, last year's Kentucky team versus <laughs> this year's. Sorry, James is like choking on grass. He's putting on the press. Yeah, 
So he's putting on the grass by, by choking on grass on my carpet. Luckily, he was able to help him. <laughs> he's a wacky dude. Anyway, sorry for that interruption. <laughs> no, I, I think that if there was a blowout that you would have seen in a, in a national title game, I think that last year's Michigan State team versus last year's Kentucky team would have been uh, a stunningly one-sided affair. I mean, the Duke game against Michigan State held kind of firm for a little while, and then obviously Duke just kind of distanced themselves. But, again, this is kind of beating a dead horse on something that doesn't matter. Um, I, again, don't see anything like that this year, even with Syracuse being a heavy underdog. The the talent's there to make up for... um, the lack of performance up to this point. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. All right, so Dan, I guess uh, I guess prediction time. You know, maybe a little. How do we see this going? I mean, we've obviously talked about the game a decent amount. How do we see this going? Um, who's maybe who's maybe the hero or, or the goat? And uh, and and I guess take a shot of final scores while we're there. Um. I'll go to the other game first. Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, as I said before, I'll take Oklahoma. I don't think it'll be seventy-eight to fifty-five like it was earlier in the year. Uh, I think that was the score. Um, I think it'll be fairly high scoring. Uh, it should be a, a really fun game. Um, I'll take Oklahoma to win uh, eighty-two to seventy-five. And on our in our game. Um, I feared UNC a lot less than I feared UVA uh, for the, a lot of the reasons that we've talked about today. Um, I've also been picking against Syracuse uh, pretty consistently just because, you know, I hated the Gonzaga matchup, so I picked the Zags. I hated the Virginia matchup, so I picked Virginia. So I feel like I kind of have to pick UNC. Um, so I'll just ride with that. I'll take uh, UNC uh, to win, let's go, uh, 78-69. to 69. All right. I guess on my end, um, I don't want Oklahoma to win, but um, I, I just, like you, I just think Buddy Heald's too much to deal with. I think we're probably looking at um, Heald going off for um, a, a pedestrian by him, 28 points, <laughs> and exploiting uh, Villanova a little bit. Um, Villanova's going to have to rely too much on outside shooting to really get consistent. Um, I just don't think they have the defense that can, that can. I don't think anyone really has the defense that that can contain him one on one. So I like Oklahoma by a final of uh, eighty four to seventy six. Um, I, I don't think that's a blowout by any means. I just think it's a it's a game that, that Villanova is just never able to close the gap on, and and you know it happens. Um, over on the other side, um, obviously us. Um, I have a weird faith in this team, and, and I might be penalized for it later, and that's fine. I was the only person on the site that said we'd beat Virginia. I fully believed it then, and I fully believe that we will beat North Carolina. Um, that's not to say I'm you know, f- filled with stupid confidence in this team at all. It's just to say that I, I have a weird faith in what we're able to do. I think that you know, Malachi doesn't have to do what he did in the last game uh, for us to win. Um, doesn't mean that we need to press for several minutes at a time to win. I just think that um, we'll get the timely shots when we need from the people we need them from, and that might this time around be, you know, Cooney and Benajay after you know relying pretty heavily on freshman Tyler Lydon and Malachi Richardson. And I, I'm going to go with us, and I'll go with us by a score of I'll go. S- 75-71. And I think that that's mostly because of foul shots taking a two-point game to a four-point game at the end. Yeah, I'm glad we're both staying in our lanes and not doing anything uh, to upset the Dodds. Like, I, I've had, like, pretty much the same outfit uh, for all these games. I've been, like, drinking the same thing. So we're going to <laughs> keep up. Like, literally, I think I've had, like, a gin and tonic in my apartment before going down to the bar every single game. I'll be at work before, so I don't know if I'll make one before and bring it. Uh, but we'll figure that out. Um, not doing anything to jeopardize our chances. I agree. I'm uh, I'm actually not really staying too consistent. I mean, obviously, the first four games I watched here at my house um, with James and my wife. And this one I'm going to be watching in Houston with not James or my wife. 
<laughs> so right away, a big change. Um, I wore... I wore a different thing. I wore the same thing three different games, and then I wore a different one in the Gonzaga game. Um, no, actually, not the Gonzaga game. I wore a different thing during the Middle Tennessee game. I drank a different thing every game, and during one game, didn't drink at all. Um, the only consistencies are that James has had his Syracuse collar on every single game, and that I've had my Syracuse flag out um, at my house every game. So I'm going to go with those final two as the consistencies and say that I can do whatever I want on the other stuff. I think that's fair. I mean, as long as you've been switching it up the whole time, I don't think there's anything to worry about then. Nope. But I, I won't switch up on the loyalty part. Uh, I mean, a couple years ago, it was a, it was a running joke that I, I picked against us every single week and, and that it was actually helping us win. This time I've been picking in favor of us, and, and it seems like my blind faith um, is, is being rewarded for once. So... Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, that that trend continues. Yes, and then we can... If we win next, next week's podcast, I don't even know what we'll do. Like, Just scream for an <laughs> <laughs> No, we're actually just going to talk about Tulane the whole time, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty good time for the <laughs> promised Tulane podcast. Why not do it after we win a national championship? <laughs> That'd be the trolliest thing of all time. The, the, there would be zero listens. I, I would, I'd look up the stats. <laughs> not, not a soul. Everyone, not everyone t- clipped out after nine minutes. Not even the Tulane people would, would tune in because they just think it was such a goddamn troll move. No, I, I would actually never do that. If, I, if, if we pulled it off, well, me and my you know, large collection of, of memorabilia afterward would, would, would sit on the couch with a, with a shitty grin on my face two days later and... And deliver the most joyful podcast of all time. Oh yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look like an idiot if we if we win uh, the whole thing. I mean, the last couple of games I've like been. I feel like I floated back to my apartment on on Saturday, so or Sunday, whenever that game was. It feels like it was a week, you know, two, a month ago now. These games are taking years off my life. And, oh yeah, you know, yeah. We're 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 definitely getting to a weird territory where each game. The gulf between each game is minimal in days, but it feels like lifetimes, and that's that, that's good and bad. It's good if you keep winning, because then you feel like you get enough time to revel in it. Um, it's bad if you don't, obviously, because that's when you know it, it, it takes its toll, and then so. I think I think part of it is uh, I was thinking about this earlier. It's because of the two bad football seasons uh, that were sandwiched a really bad basketball season with all of the NCAA stuff and the postseason ban, it's almost like this run has allowed us to, like, re-fall in love with Syracuse Athletics, and it's that's part of the reason why everyone's, like, totally... Like, in 2013, we were all really happy to get back to our first Final Four since the, the title, but, like, this feels like a totally different ballgame. Like, people are going way crazier this year, and part of it, I think, is because they were such the underdog, but uh, I think it's just been such a rough couple of years for Syracuse across the board. Um and now it seems like everything's hitting, I mean, with the women and uh, everything else, you know, Babers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like everything's finally kind of coming to a head. Well, I think that the weird thing is uh, that, yeah, that, I mean, Babers, Babers would be great if he was succeeded, but I think the fact that he's here alone is is a big victory uh, for us, but I guess before we shut down, uh, might want to go into a little bit of the women's game. We don't have to really dive in totally, but because they are playing this Sunday and then again on Tuesday, Dan, uh, do you think we can beat Washington? Since they do have some uh, quality bigs, they do have some good shooters, though not as good as our perimeter players. Um, and then if they beat win that game, do you think they have any shot at probably UConn, or, or is this just kind of a, a processional to see who gets to to, to go to the funeral? Yeah, I mean, UConn's, they're so good. Like, they are, they're just undescribably better than every other team in the sport right now. And I know there's a raging debate over whether it's good or not for women's basketball. I don't totally know where I fall on it. I I appreciate what they do, just, and I don't think they should try to do anything different. But um, I do wish there was a little more, uh, like, evenness across the board. Um, but that being said, like just beating Washington and getting the championship, I when, when you have such an impossible force on the other side as UConn, I mean, getting there is like the culmination of you know you're, you're the best of the other 350 whatever schools. So I, I think that either way, um, 
it'd be incredible for for the program. And uh, Coach Q deserves a ton of credit for what he's done. And and even that game in Tennessee, I was I didn't get to see all of it, but because um, I was kind of commuting back from Easter. Um, but really impressive. Like the the team just it, it has its it's a very interesting style uh, that clearly gives teams trouble. Um, and just to see them, be, I know Tennessee isn't what they were ten years ago, but to see Syracuse just kind of impose its will on Tennessee like that when the last couple of years have been kind of defined by um, like near misses in the tournament and never quite hitting that level, it really seems like everything's starting to click. So, you know, they could go lose by 50 to UConn. This year has still been an unbelievable program-changing year. Um, like Syracuse really ascended in that sport, which is awesome because I feel like it has been kind of a long time coming. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's... You look at the breakdown of McDonald's All-Americans. You look at just how good these shooters are, how how good we play defense um, just consistently. I mean, I was tweeting about the, the game when we were beating Tennessee by a lot and just saying, like, this is a team that's just stepping on throats. And it's something that Jim Beheim's teams have rarely done. It doesn't mean that Beheim's a bad coach. It just means that it's not how they're designed. Um, Q's style, on the other hand, seems to, seems to lend itself directly to um, – getting a lead, and then smothering opponents to death once you have it. Um, and, and that hasn't always been the case, but I think in this tournament, it, when, when, when he most needed it, it has. Um, you, you saw you saw them trying to do that against South Carolina, but South Carolina just is too talented to, to completely smother. But yeah, Tennessee just, you saw the mistakes, you saw them trying to force things, and you saw Syracuse just completely take advantage um, and, and, and obviously just toss in a couple threes, and suddenly, you know, you look at a, a five six point lead suddenly ballooned to twelve to fifteen very quickly, and th- and that's how a team gets to the final four. Um, I I'd like to imagine we can give UConn a game. Um, that doesn't mean we will. Um, I don't think we're going to win, but hey, I mean things happen. And I as much as I don't like to see UConn anything succeed, I, I can appreciate how good they are. And and you know like any other team when they're dominating, the best solution it, if you don't like it, beat them beat him, find a way to win. And um, it might take a couple of years. And I think in the meantime, maybe focus in on the other things going on in women's college basketball. I mean, look at, look at the other, look at our side of the bracket. You know, it's, it's a four seed and a seven seed. I mean, even a couple of years ago, even last year, probably, you know, like women's final fours were largely chalk. There was, there was a lot of chalk <laughs> that, that, that happened. And, and that struggle to keep people maybe engaged the full time. And, you look at here, and and you had people. You had one seeds getting upset, two and threes getting upset in the Sweet Sixteen. Like you had a fun tournament that, especially on one side, you know, had a lot of talented players and a lot of teams really kind of showing their stuff and, and arriving on the national stage. And I think you know having programs like Oregon State and and, and Washington and Syracuse in the Final Four um, over the traditional powers in women's basketball can only be good for the sport and its growth. Right, and and I think you know outside of the inevitability of UConn, um, and we're all we're also biased since our team actually made a run this year. But just overall, I thought the tournament was way more interesting, just because it, it did reveal the men's tournament a bit more. And I guess like there are the purists who sit, probably prefer when the women's tournament would always be the four one seeds or maybe a two seed slip in there. But um, if you're trying to like grow the game, um, and obviously UConn is is kind of like this end boss that people haven't figured out, but if you, like, have everyone, like, just more than the other three top seeds have a chance to make a run, I mean, I think that can only be good uh, when you're trying to get fan bases invested. Like, this has been by far the most I've seen people talk about this year. Obviously, we've, on the site, have documented the attendance issues, but even just in terms of exposure, it seems like the community is really embracing the, the, the girls' program, which is, is huge, and hopefully... Hopefully, if they play UConn in the final, um, it isn't too bad. Hopefully, you know, the normal, awful, like, segment of the fan base doesn't do the thing where, like, they totally then bury them for losing by 40 or whatever might happen. Um, and hopefully that it turns into, you know, people in the seats next year. And it doesn't need to be 20,000 like it is for the men, but just, you know, if 8,000 people showed up at the Dome, it would look pretty respectable, and you'd really start to uh, use that as an advantage in recruiting and everything. So hopefully this is a... A, a springboard to really launch and maybe start to build a program or two that can compete with UConn because otherwise like Gino's going to keep on doing his thing and you can complain about it, but it's not going to change anything. 
Please, please, yes. I would love nothing more than, than to see Syracuse women's basketball supported uh, much more than it has been in the past. And I think, yeah, maybe this is the, the moment you can't you can't lean on the lack of success anymore. You couldn't for years now, but you can't definitively anymore um, based on what happened here. Um, I think that's a good note to end us on, though, Dan. Uh, thanks a lot for joining, as always. Much appreciate the time. Of course, and hopefully we will have a, uh, a joyful celebratory uh, podcast next Wednesday or next uh, Monday night at like 2 a.m. <laughs> I, I will not be bringing my microphone with me to Houston, so probably not. Fair enough. <laughs> but yes, hopefully we do have a very, very fun podcast in store on Wednesday. If if the good stuff we hope happens doesn't happen, then we're still going to have a fun podcast because this has been a hell of a run. We're not going to talk gravy because that doesn't exist in our world. Um, But for Dan, I'm John. You've been listening to Train Unions and Absolute Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go effing orange. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.